Welcome to the Novice No Longer Podcast, episode 13. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 13th episode of the Novice No Longer Podcast. We have officially entered the teens, and this is so exciting. I've really, really wanted to start a podcast for a really long time. It just kind of broadcast and radio in general is just something that I've always had a passion for. Like when I'm driving around, I'm always listening to either podcasts or talk radio. Out here in New York, we have a station called 1010 Winds, which tells all of the news, all the traffic, all everything in 22 minutes. And then it repeats every 22 minutes. And that's literally pretty much all I listen to when I'm driving. And it drives my fiance crazy. But I'm so honored to have you all a part of this and have you all listening because, like I said, this is something that I've always wanted to do and this is a dream come true. And just to have you guys along with here, with, along here with me, really just means a lot to me. Now, I wanted to do some housekeeping this morning before getting into the podcast, which is amazing today, by the way. But anyway, this has been an absolutely crazy week for me. I don't know if you guys go to the blog or if you've noticed, but I actually launched a new app last week. It's a productivity app. It's called Workburst. And the reason why that should be interesting to you is not necessarily because of the app, because I'm sure you would like the app. It's productivity. It's a Pomodoro timer. It's awesome. It dims your screen. But the reason why you guys should care is I wrote a really, really long post about how I made the app and not only how I made it, but how I got pressed because I got an article in Lifehacker, Laptop Magazine, and Yahoo News, which was awesome. And so last week I released it. I released the app. I published that article, which goes over everything, which you guys should check out on my blog now. And this week, actually, when you're listening to this, it's probably going to be live now. I'm going to go over the exact numbers of that launch, what it looked like, what download numbers were like. And I'm going to share all of that with you because it's all a learning experience. It's a learning experience for me, learning experience for you. And I really want to share that with you guys. So definitely go to the website, novicenolonger.com and check that out. Another reason why this is absolutely just a crazy week, and I haven't actually mentioned this before, is I am co-founding a company. Uh, I don't want to go into details yet, but it's just been a wild experience just in terms of like going over paperwork and getting a, a lawyer to look over things with me and give me advice. And it's just been a completely new, brand new experience for me. And I'm actually going to bring the lawyer who helped me out on the show to talk about the law that you need to know if you're starting a venture, if you're founding a company, if you're just doing products. And I'm going to bring him on because it was just so much valuable information. And I really want to share that guy, that with you. And that really brings me into today's episode because the, the stuff that we talk about today is the stuff that has just been rolling around in my mind just constantly with the founding of this company. And that is search engine optimization. But search engine optimization is so much more than that. It has to do with marketing and it has to do with branding and it has to do with like building who you are on the web. So my guest today speaks a language that not many people speak. 
It's a language spoken primarily by robots and by spiders. I love that term, spiders. And and knowing this language is the key to getting your website noticed amongst the millions of other websites that exist in this world. Of course, I am talking about SEO or search engine optimization. So I have John DeFeo, who's the internet marketer over at Tech Media Network, which is the company that owns Tom's Guide and Laptop Magazine. And I brought him on the show to share with you all and with me the best practices and the best way to get to the top of Google search engine rankings and to get noticed and to make sure the search engines like you. This is an amazing episode. It just has so much amazing information in it, and I know you're going to like it. And I'm, I'm going to stop talking now. That was way too much. I'm going to get into it. Here you go. John DeFeo and SEO, everything you need to know. Hey everyone, my name is Dan and you are listening to the Novice No Longer podcast. My guest today is the Director of Internet Marketing at Tech Media Network, which is the company that owns properties such as Tom's Guide and Laptop Magazine. John DeFeo is the guy that media companies bring on when they want uh, to up their SEO game. He's the person that I contacted when I launched Novice No Longer to get some advice about how I could up my search engine ranking and without doing anything that Google would punish me for later. So John, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Dan. Yeah, so there are two kind of things that I'm going to or want to get into in this podcast that I think will be really helpful to the listeners. The first one is if you are launching a brand new website or product, kind of what you can be doing and what you should be thinking about in terms of SEO in order to get ahead of the competition. And the second thing is if you have an existing website or property and you haven't thought about SEO, or maybe you have, but you've done it all wrong, kind of the things you can do to start turning that around and start improving your SEO ranking. But before we get into that, I basically want to start off with a really broad question and really start defining terms. So I'm going to ask you, what is SEO? Well, search engine optimization, which is abbreviated as SEO, it's really come to encompass a lot of different disciplines within marketing and publishing. And for right or wrong, I don't know. In my personal viewpoint, SEO is really the structural optimization of a website, making sure that everything works, making sure that everything is readable by people and by machines, and making sure that information is titled in such a way that it's accessible to someone who's looking for it. And that's kind of where traditional SEO ends in my eyes. And from there, it goes into branding and content marketing. People lump all these things into a singular term, which is fine, I guess. But really, SEO these days isn't a dedicated discipline as it is just growing your business online, I would say. So you're talking about like branding and content marketing, uh, kind of encompassing like reaching out to people, getting those backlinks and kind of that whole channel, because backlinks is an important part of ranking, as a lot of people know, but that, that's separate from the structure. So you're, you're kind of saying those two things are separate? It all plays together. I mean, a search engine is just really an agent of a person, and they're looking to find the most relevant and the most authoritative content that's on the web. So there is the technical aspects to this, where making sure your site is functioning and making sure that it's able to be accessed. And then there is the linguistic aspects to this in terms of making sure that your content actually touches upon the concepts that people would be searching for and making sure that it's labeled and named in such a way that they'd be able to find it and understand it quickly. And on top of that, there is the concept of relevance, and that comes more into the marketing component where 
it, it's really a question of how could people access this content? How could they find it? And it's referrals and word of mouth and brand recognition and all of that kind of lumped up into a singular concept. Mm-hmm. Now, I know uh, it's interesting that you say that because that's, that's so true. And that's exactly what websites like Google are trying to do and getting closer and closer is really finding what people want and being able to deliver that. And that's the goal of the whole search engine. And I know um, the Google's head of the SEO division, I totally forget his name, is Notorious, where when people ask, how can I improve SEO? His answer is create great content. And that's it. And obviously, there's so much more that goes into it. But really, that's all that Google cares about is you create great content and Google will do their best to get it in front of the people that want to see that content. That basically sums it up. Yeah. I mean, if you wanted to put it into a real-world metaphor, imagine that you bought a private island somewhere that no one's ever heard of. And on that island, you've built a storefront, and you've made sure that all of the sidewalks are laid, and it's very easy to get into your store. And you have signs throughout the entire store labeling all of your products quite clearly. It might be a great store, but at that point, no one's heard of you still, and no one could get to you. Mm-hmm. That's the marketing aspect, and that's the aspect of importance and how to establish the connections to get people to your store to actually convert them. Mm-hmm. Now, there are two terms that get brought up a lot in, uh, around SEO, and that's the term uh, black hat SEO versus white hat SEO. What is kind of the difference between those two branches of SEO, I guess? Well, I would say that black hat is kind of the equivalent of creative bookkeeping. Essentially, you're looking to exploit anything you possibly could, for better or worse, and you're really trying to tinker and to reverse engineer what a search engine might be trying to do. And ultimately, if you just accept the fact that a search engine is trying to deliver the best content, that's kind of enough in many respects. So you don't really need to dive too, too deep into that reverse engineering, but that's not to say that people shouldn't do that. I mean, it's interesting to learn how things work, and I'm a tankerer, and many people are. Mm -hmm. So I think that uh, that's kind of what black hat, the direction that it leads into. Of course, there's highly black hat things, which are unethical things, and what would be the equivalent of fraud or things that would be against the law and in the real world. And that would be the concept of trying to sabotage competitors and things along those lines. Mm -hmm. So that is black, black hat SEO. Yeah, I... I I think one of the most common ones that people do that just recently people are starting to get dinged on is going out and buying back backlinks to your website because one of the things in the most common kind of overhead view aspect of it is Google likes if your website has a lot of links to it. And the more links that another site has is linking to you, the better that is in a, in a kind of general sense, or at least that's how it used to be. They've, they've changed things a lot, and I, I definitely want to talk about that. And so what people used to do is hire companies who would go out and just make a bunch of junk websites with a bunch of links and they would take people's money and just give them the actual link. So the search engines would see that and think that a website has more backlinks than it really should. And then through subsequent updates of Google's kind of algorithm, they just dinged all those people. And a lot of got, people got taken down by that. Yeah, that algorithm update was called Penguin, which was really a penalty for having unnatural link profiles and you know, just a spammy marketing in general, I guess, is the term that I would use. 
Uh, one thing that you had said in terms of a quantity of links being a good thing, I, that's half true and half false. I would say that Google has always prioritized the quantity of, or the quality of links better than the, the quantity of links. And what Google uses, they have an internal system called PageRank, and this was something that the entire search engine was predicated on PageRank. It was the thesis of Larry Page at Stanford in 1998. And what it does is it looks at essentially the proxy for the statistical probability of someone landing on a website based on the amount and the quality of links that are pointing to it. So Google uses a score, at least a forward-facing score, to what it shows the world of 0 to 10, 0 being the least authoritative, 10 being the most authoritative. And really, you would want to get as many high-quality links as possible, and the lower-quality links and high-volume it's really not so great because ultimately what they're looking for are links that would actually drive you referrals, things that would actually send traffic to a website. And that was something where they had to use linear algebra and advanced mathematics to arrive at that estimation when they first started. And they would use eigenvectors and eigenvalues and so forth to kind of figure out an approximation of how much traffic you might receive from a link from a certain page. These days, I would say that Google has way more tools at their disposal they have two-thirds of the search market, if not more. They have Google Analytics, which is on maybe 50 to 70% of all of the meaningful websites in the world. And then they have Chrome, which is a web browser, which has maybe 40% market share. So between all of those different data sources, they have a much better idea of what links are actually meaningful and what links matter. So gone are the days of buying some obscure link in the footer of a website and having it run site-wide over a million pages because that's pretty useless. And sometimes those links lacked context and they would never be clicked. So Google is always looking to purge that sort of thing and look for the links that really matter. Mm -hmm. And these days, links that really matter might come from a variety of different places, and social media is a good example of that. So it's really about the links that someone would click on. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's Bing that really went all in with the social media, didn't they? Um, or is Google doing that too? I seem to remember something. I can't remember the exact details, but I think weren't they showing like social results in the search results? Well, Google does that now specifically with Google Plus, which is their own social media platform. So they have something called personalized search. And personalized search is when you're logged into your Google account, assuming that you have a Google Plus profile and you have people within your circles in that social network. If they are making posts, those posts will be searched and indexed the same as any other type of content. So you might see something in your personal search results that someone outside of your social network would not see because they're not integrated with uh, the people in your circles. Yeah. So that is one aspect of social integration. I've actually had students that would launch a new website and then they go to Google and they search like, oh my gosh, I'm ranked number one. And I'm like, no, not really. You should probably log out of your account, go incognito and try that again. Yep, that'll give you a clearer picture. Although at a certain point, you figure the scale has to tip to pretty much all searches being personalized in some capacity. So it's getting harder and harder to really have the, the pure view of what everyone else sees. Mm -hmm. And uh, rank checkers and manually checking your rank, it's a useful thing, but it's becoming less useful over time because of that personalization aspect. Yeah. And at the same time, that has some controversy, too, because if you have a computer algorithm that's delivering what it thinks you want to see, then that closes off. It's 
some people say that it's a form of censorship because there could be articles with opposing point of views and simply because it knows you will never click on it, it's not even going to present you with that information. So it, it's kind of an interesting balance they have to play there and, and an interesting direction that things are going. I agree with that concept, actually, and I think it's quite dangerous because it creates this positive feedback loop of things that you already want to believe or it doesn't really expose unique insights as well as kind of a pure across-the-board search experience. And uh, I don't know. It's something they're going to have to wrestle with, like you said. Yeah, and I think the main problem is that Google makes their money through advertising. Ad money is where it is. So it is to their advantage to get people to click on the things that they want to click on and buy the things that they want to buy. Just like 24-hour news channels these days get money through advertisers and they get advertising money through eyeballs. So they're going to play the Malaysia Airlines information even though there is zero new information. And they're going to do that 24 hours because that's what people want to see even though there's no information because that's what the advertisers want to see those eyeballs. And it's just a terrible feedback loop. And that's kind of happening with Google and personalized search. I agree. There's many ethical questions that Google is going to have to grapple with and that's one of them. Yeah. Okay. So on to a little bit of a lighter note, you kind of mentioned Penguin and Penguin being an update that really hurt the people that were doing kind of spammy tactics. So when an update like Penguin rolls out, what is the process? Does Google like release a book saying like, here's what's going on? Do people just all of a sudden see their traffic go down? Like, what do they do? What happens? What is the world like in search when Penguin rolls out? Well, I would say that some people will see a precipitous drop in their traffic. Other people will see a very large gain. And for many people, nothing at all will really happen. And that's because if you consider what a search results page looks like, it's zero sum. If someone gets knocked out of the number one position, someone else takes that spot. So someone else's loss is someone else's gain. And ultimately, Google is always trying to reward the best content or the best as they see it. So you would see in many cases, if you went to a search engine optimization blog, lots and lots of comments of people complaining that their traffic fell off a cliff. And that's true of many review sites and places in general where you see usually negative reviews because it's only the people who had a bad experience that are vocalizing something. Mm -hmm. So I think that a lot of times when you see complaints, you see people who are probably doing things that weren't so great that got affected in some way. That's not to say that good people can't get caught up in this, and that happened early on with uh, Panda, which was a previous algorithm update in 2011. And there was a lot of quality sites that were smaller, small businesses, and they felt that they were really unjustly punished by that algorithm update, and maybe rightfully so. So Now, what did Panda focus on? Because uh, you said... Panda was... Yo, go ahead. Panda focused on thin content, So I would say that beginning in maybe like 2008 or 2009, publishers started getting this idea that they could start using programmatic ways to generate content, and if they cast out a million pages of low quality that most people would never find, but if, you know, one person in ten happened across a page once a month, they played that numbers game saying, all right, well, most of this stuff is garbage and it'll never be seen, but some of it's actually going to bring someone into my site, so... I'm just going to apply the law of large numbers and cast out a bunch of garbage pages and get traffic that way. Mm. And Panda really took that head on 
and said, all right, if you have thin content or if you um, – that's essentially what it was. If your content wasn't substantive and it looks like you're trying to game the system by just casting out a bunch of nonsensical pages, that's what they were attacking. Mm-hmm. Anybody who's A lot listening- of how-to websites fell into the same trap. Yeah, I would say anybody that's listening to this that is considering buying an article spinner piece of software, this is the reason why you shouldn't and why it is an absolute waste of money these days. That's actually a great point that you bring up. Article spinning, for those who don't know what that is, that would essentially take a body of text and then jumble it around to make it seem like it was unique, and that was something else that Google has attacked and pretty much has eliminated that practice. Uh It's worthless. It would find all of the adjectives, and then it would have a synonym thing built into it. So if you said something was hot, it would be like, it would find that description hot and change it to like extremely hot or tepid or like all these different kind of words that could be replaced in hot and then by random, like generate these full articles that are based on the original content, but just completely jumbled. And some of the results were just absolutely terrible, but people would take these articles and post them to article directories and all these different things in terms of getting backlinks. And it was this whole widely, widely done practice that just seems just ludicrously terrible in terms of just pumping out spam and not quality content. And I I think it's an absolute good thing that Google has put a stop to that. I agree. In fact, most of the changes that they have made in the end are really good things because it's ultimately punishing the people who were being disingenuous and were polluting the web and making it a poor place. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to what Google's end goal is. And their end goal is to provide content to the user that the user wants. And the user doesn't want a jumbled up article or they don't care about the link from that. They want an actual answer to their question. And then that's how they're going to get the advertising dollars. <laughs> um, So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your experience with entering an existing publication, kind of like you did with Tech Media Network, and kind of looking at what is currently existing and what do you look for when you're looking at a new property for the first time? Well, I would look for anything that is an obvious shortcoming, and that could really be in a variety of different areas. It could be technical improvements that are necessary to the site. Maybe there's crawlability issues, or maybe there's some things that people just haven't implemented in the past, like proper sitemaps or proper metadata and schema. So I would look for that sort of thing and correct it right away. Mm-hmm. And I would also, to some extent, analyze the, the link profile of each of the websites within the company and hope that there would be nothing suspicious or any previous wrongdoing that had been done by someone who had previously worked at the company, and thankfully I've never had to deal with that, but I imagine that would be a very, very difficult issue if you came into a company and found out that they were doing disingenuous practices mm-hmm. and you were tasked with cleaning, cleaning it up because that's never an easy thing. Now, what and is a link cases, profile? I'm not familiar with that. link profile is the, the aggregate of all of the links that you've attracted to your particular domain. And uh, it's basically like a, a portfolio is another term for it. So you can look at the total quantity of all of the links that you have and the quality of those links and look for what really matters and look for diversification and things along those lines. Now, Where would personally, you those? The, the link profile, there's yeah. tools that you can subscribe to to continually monitor that sort of thing, but Google makes free tools available. 
So Webmaster Tools is a product that's free, provided by Google, that allows you to register your website and see a lot of very interesting data mm-hmm. from a technical side and then also from who's linking to you and how you're linking to yourself. Uh, and I'll put all of these links in the show notes for anybody listening here. So Google Webmaster Tools is like one of your go-to resources? Absolutely. In fact, many of the tools that Google provides, you really don't need to look too much further than those tools. So Google Analytics is essential. Google Webmaster Tools is essential. And I would say Google Trends is extraordinarily useful in planning coverage. Mm -hmm. And the Google AdWords Keyword Planner is also useful for assessing demand and the market around a particular topic. Now, when when you're starting a, a... Like with a new client or a new employer, are there are there any specific questions that you ask them, or like directions, or where they want your focus to be, or is it just kind of like you come on there and just generally start improving things? I would say that I've worked for three larger companies now that had several websites beneath their corporate umbrella, and in every case, they kind of give me a little bit of a carte blanche to go in and poke around and. Just look for things that could be improved, and I would say that someone in my position, which is, I focus mostly on news search engine optimization, so I'm implanted within a newsroom, what I would do is just quickly try to make as many relationships within the company as I possibly could just to learn what people have learned themselves, what's been taught by other employees in the past, and how people have tried to integrate optimization into their own workflow. And I think that's extraordinarily useful, and that's probably the first step anywhere I would go is just talk to people and find out what's been done, what worked, what didn't work, things along those lines. Mm-hmm. And having an understanding of SEO is extremely value. Just to give an example of your specific value, I recently did a freelance piece for uh, the web property owned by Tech Media Network, that's Tech News Daily, and it was on an FAQ about net neutrality. And in order to know what questions people are asking you were able to jump in there and kind of use, I think you used the AdWords keyword planning tool to kind of judge things and you were able to hand me a list of questions that people were asking and I could base the article on that. So you're providing value because you're actually answering people's questions and you're also helping your search results because you're basing that on what people are searching for. That's right. In that particular case, I had used Google Autocomplete, or it's sometimes called Google Suggest. So that's when you're within the Google search bar and you're typing, and Google is making suggestions as you type. So it's extremely easy to use. You could just put in a term like net neutrality and then bring your cursor all the way to the left of that term and start typing in why, who, how, when, where, and you'll get a handful of suggestions around that term. And these are things that people are actually searching for which is extraordinarily useful. That was a concept that Danny Sullivan, who was the publisher of Search Engine Land, I believe he had called it reverse broadcasting, where it's non-traditional, because usually you would create content and put it out to the world, and hopefully someone was interested. This is the exact opposite. People are searching for that content, and it's up to publishers to deliver on making sure that we answer those questions. But going back to what we were talking about before, I think it's a little dangerous also, because you could get into that positive feedback loop where you're only writing about the things that people have already searched for. And that could omit a lot of information that might be very interesting that people just don't know about. So I feel like you could only take data so far. And you could use that backwards-looking data provided by Google to structure an outline for a piece 
but you always need some sort of expert color and insight in order to fill in the blanks and the things that people don't know to ask for. Mm-hmm. So I think that's an, an essential component. Yeah, and Google more and more uh, just wants the human aspect there. Because I think there was an article recently about computers spitting out news articles for breaking news and stuff. But like you were saying, that the, the autocomplete and the search engine tools can only get you so far. There's the the part of being a new thought that a computer can't do that a human can. And creating that new thought is something that Google is also looking for and that just enriches the web experience and thus will help you in the rankings. Yep, that is what they're trying to do. And they have different patents filed to look for the volume of proper nouns that might be appearing in your content and things along those lines. So they're looking for some sort of unique insight that's been added to a story. And, and that should be valued. It's funny with autocorrect, too, because you always see it online as like a joke where somebody will type in the first part of a phrase and then all of the uh, autocorrect ones are just absolutely silly. But it's amazing that it can actually be uh, a good tool for, especially if you are having uh, a block where writer's block, you don't know what to write about. You can just go there and it, Google will help you pick a topic if you're having a hard time thinking of one. That's true. But it could also be abused, which takes you back into that panda trap where if you, say, perpetually have writer's block and all you do is constantly look for ideas based on what Google is suggesting, but you start writing about topics in which you're not an expert, which some sites are dedicated to exactly that, (laughs) you probably are going to feel that penalty at some point. Yeah, it it all catches up with you. I think that... um penguin showed people that all of your bad practices that you do even if you think you're getting away with it one of these days you are not going to get away with it so it's best not to do any of it so if someone has if someone has an existing website or blog right now but they have not put any focus on seo they don't even know what it means they've just been doing what they're doing but what would you suggest? What would be the first thing that they should focus on and start doing? Where, what should, where should they go? I would look at all the technical components of the site first. And I would look for really simple things like, do you have title tags on all of your content? Do you have meta descriptions that are unique on each of those pages? Now describe using- title tags and meta descriptions just briefly too. All right, so a title tag and a meta description, these are the things that you're actually seeing within Google's search results when you put in a particular query. So it looks like a headline, but it's called a page title in this case. A page title is essentially just a brief description of what the contents of a page are, and it should be something that's done in a way that makes sense for someone who's looking for information. You should avoid anything like puns or wordplay or things along those lines. It's really meant to be a pure reference. So if you opened a filing cabinet, you should be able to look at those tabs and know exactly what you're pulling a file about. And that's how a page title should be treated. Now, of course, you might want to put a little zing and color into those page titles. They shouldn't be bland and boring, per se. They can still be informative and interesting. But uh, you need to solicit the click. You need to have the words that are in there that would get the page to rank when someone searches for a term, but you need to also convert that person into a visitor on your site. So there's kind of a balance between those things. Mm -hmm. Similar is the meta description. The meta description is the two sentence approximately blurb of text that appears beneath the title. And these are not actually used to rank the pages per se, 
although they do have an impact on your ranking insofar that if it's engaging and someone clicks on your result as a result of your meta description, then you probably are going to improve in the rankings over time just based on the fact that people are actually clicking on your result. I always wonder whether Google is actually using the meta description because I have a, a plugin that I use for my WordPress site that's all in one SEO. And I always fill in the meta descriptions for things. But whenever I'm searching for content on Google, they always seem to highlight whatever term I'm searching for and just grab a snippet from the website and show that where I would think the meta description should be. Are they still using meta descriptions, really? Or. It all depends. So in that case, if they're pulling a snippet from the website, they're looking to do contextual highlighting because they're trying to assign the unique piece of information that someone's searching for with that result. So really, that just means that maybe your meta description should be rewritten to include that term that someone is most likely to search for and tie it into that result to make it make sense to the searcher. Mm -hmm. So Google is going to experiment constantly with the presentation of search results. The same is true of title tags. If your tag is too long or too short, then Google will oftentimes rewrite that tag until they settle upon something that they think is best. If you can form your title tag and your meta descriptions within certain character limits to make sure that they fit most of the time, the chances of Google rewriting it are lessened. And if you actually use the terms that people are most likely to type into Google to find that page, again, the chances are less than that Google is going to rewrite those titles and descriptions. Mm-hmm. Now, is there anything that people can do in terms of structure or setting up their site or tactics that people aren't doing yet or like upcoming trends in search engine? Like, I, I feel like video is one of them. Are there things like that that people can do? There are. And, uh, I mean, going back to your original question, you said if someone has an existing site, what could they do for some quick wins? Titles and descriptions are just one component, I would say, of technical SEO. And it's not even really, really technical SEO. I mean, the structure of the site in terms of, is it crawlable? Do you have text links or are the links images? Do you have special meta tags within the content that tells a crawler how to treat that content? For instance, whether it should be indexed by a search engine or whether the link should be followed. Mm-hmm. If there's a canonical tag that specifies your preferred URL for a given page, these are all important things because if someone throws a tracking code or something at the end of a URL, in the eyes of a search engine, it's now a totally distinct URL separate from the original URL. And if people start linking to the two different versions, then you're diluting the authority of the piece because those links are being spread across two or more versions of the same article or same page. So a canonical tag is something that you drop into the code of a page that says, regardless of what you see after a question mark on this URL, only look at this preferred version and reconcile all of those links into this preferred version. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the technical things that all search engines support now. That are, uh, they're just useful to employ. A lot of blogging platforms will have plugins or will natively support these sort of things. Uh, and they're ever-changing also. I mean, it's tough if you're not doing search engine optimization for a living to stay on top of all of these changes that might occur over time. So a few years back, Google came up with another set of link elements that you would put inside of your metadata that would say, all right, if this article is paginated, this is the next page in the sequence. This is the previous page in the sequence. And that 
link element would establish the relationship between all of those pages. Now, these things aren't essential, but they're very useful. And if you have the time or the knowledge to employ them, I would always stay on top of those developments, follow the Google Webmaster blogs in order to see what's been released, and gradually implement them on your website. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you mentioned that was actually a new, something new that I learned last year or the year before was the question mark in a URL. Anything that comes after the question mark won't affect the website that you're going to because that's just used for tracking. Like you might see the question mark, a bunch of letters and numbers and the word Twitter, and that simply tells the website that you found it through Twitter. You can take that question mark and delete everything after it and have a bare version of the website. And often if I'm sending a link to a friend, I'll get a link from somebody that has all of that tracking on it. I'll just delete everything after the question mark and send them the shortened version that looks a lot prettier. And that's just like, it was a cool thing to learn because I could actually apply it immediately when I was giving a cool link to somebody. Yeah, actually, that process you just described of stripping out all that extraneous information, that's exactly what the canonical tag achieves for a search engine. It just tells the search engine robot to do the exact same thing. Ignore all the useless stuff and only focus on what matters, the meat and potatoes. Yeah, that would be really important. Um, And one thing I wanted to mention, too, about why making sure the structure and your your website is set up properly is because with all of the websites that I've set up, I've always gotten an a surprisingly high amount of traffic from Google image search because every time I make an image, I use the alt tag, which basically you use to describe what the image is. So if there was somebody that had vision impairment and they're browsing the web, if there was a website that had a lot of pictures but zero alt tags, it would be it would look like a blank website to them. So it's really good practice just in terms of helping people who are visually impaired. And it's also really good for search engines because it's a lot easier to rank high for Google image search than it might necessarily be uh, to be on their front page of the search results. Another good point you bring up, and accessibility is really a best practice for search engine optimization. So as you said, using alt tags for images is a great tactic, and I would also say the proper use of subheadings and headings, which are H tags and HTML, so H1, H2, H3, and so forth, these provide structure to a web page, which people will use them specifically for search purposes, which is fine, but the true spirit of those tags is to provide structure for a page And then again, accessibility. If someone was using a screen reader when they hit spacebar, that outline structure of headings is going to provide support for the screen reader to get to the most important content on the page. So if you use these tools in the proper way for accessibility, ultimately you're going to be rewarded by a search engine. Mm -hmm. Now, if somebody has an idea for a product or website and they haven't launched anything yet, what what would you tell them to do to prepare themselves to create a search engine-friendly website? Well, I would try to get the advice of someone, hopefully a friend, who is savvy with that sort of thing, at least in terms of the technical structure of a website and making sure that everything is set up pretty much properly from the ground up, which is always easier than trying to fix things after they've been launched. Mm -hmm. So you would want to make sure that you have a good hierarchy to the site. You have proper naming conventions, proper linking throughout the site. All of the pages kind of roll up into, uh, as I said, a hierarchy that makes sense, that you have sitemaps in place, which are essentially just providing a list of all the content that you've published 
to a search engine saying, here, look at this list. These are the pages I want you to come crawl. Mm -hmm. So things along those lines, getting that set up from the ground up. And then there's also the component of research in terms of, okay, what words and terms should I be using to describe my content? What are the terms that people are going to associate with this page? And can I deliver on that? Mm -hmm. And making all of that research and all of those improvements before you would ever actually publish anything, I would say is the best strategy. So if someone were to say they were today going to start doing better SEO tactics, they could do one thing today. Of all those things that you mentioned, what would be the one thing you would tell them to do? Be honest with yourself and make sure that you're actually calling your content what it is. I think that's probably the biggest trap that people fall into. And in some ways, it makes these research tools dangerous because people get attracted to these gigantic numbers saying, oh, there's so many people searching for this term. You know, I could kind of make that association with my own content, so let me put that in there. And it really has nothing to do with what they are, or it's just kind of a loose association. So I would say that it's really about not the quantity of people that you're getting in, but again, it comes down to the quality and just being honest with yourself and saying, all right, what am I making? What is this content really about? And what are the terms that really describe what this content is that's going to get the right type of person into my site? Mm -hmm. And that could mean a variety of different things for different business models. I remember at one company I had worked for that had subscription products, I had made the point once that a single person who came in and bought a subscription was worth 14000 who came in and just acted like normal people clicking around on the site. So mm -hmm. it comes down to getting that right person in, the right person into the site. Yeah. And depending on what your needs are, that's going to change. And Google is getting smarter and smarter, like with natural language detection and figuring out what people are saying that they can tell when you're just BSing it. That's right. They're actually, they were pioneers in that field. They had a patent called phrase-based indexing, which is something that they still use very heavily. And that looks at the co-occurrence of words across the entire universe of web pages to see which words are used in conjunction with one another and which really are natural language and which words should be omitted from certain queries and things along those lines to really separate the wheat from the chaff. And then also, again, to look for content that has value added, that has some sort of unique insight. So they're very, very good at parsing language and getting better. Uh, that's absolutely insane to me. And they're, they're only growing uh, in their knowledge and their abilities in an exponential pace. So who knows what it'll look like in five, 10 years. Similar but different, I'm sure. Yeah, awesome. Well, John, thank you so much for being in the show, uh, being on the show. This has been so informative and so helpful. And I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Oh, my pleasure. So much good information there. So much good information. I, I sure hope you guys took notes because that, that was awesome. And if you guys enjoyed it, please go onto iTunes, leave me a rating, leave me a review. As I said in the beginning, if you guys haven't checked the website in a while, there's a lot of great content there. So go to novicenolonger.com and check it out. And until next week, I will uh, talk to you then. Have a good one.